Hi, it's Liam from the Early Education Show, and I'm here with Annabelle. Hi, Annabelle. I just wanted to remind you before we get cracking today that we've got a bonus uh, Q&A episode coming up in December. So what do people need to do, Annabelle? Don't forget to send the questions to Leah, Leanne and Dad. Lisa, Leanne and Dad. Lisa, Leanne and Dad. And Daddy's me, isn't it? Yeah. Now you did the drawings for the cover of the show, didn't you, Annabelle? Do you remember doing those? Yeah. Yeah. Did, we, did you enjoy doing those? Yeah. Yeah, well, I hope people like them. I think people will say they quite like them. Yeah. Yeah. So to send us a question, head to Facebook or our Twitter pages, um, and you'll find a link there. But um, yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Now, on with the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of The Early Education Show. It's great to be back with you. I'm Liam. I'm Lisa. And I'm Leanne. Yeah, it's really great to be back with you. We hope everyone has had a lovely week and has another lovely weekend ahead and is uh, probably not sweltering as much as we are on the night we're recording this. But we'll kick right back on, we'll kick right onto it, I should say, with our news of the week. And uh, it was actually a pretty busy week for media. It lasted a while. And I know we'll be covering a bit of that in our recommendations and probably as we have a chat. But I think the one we wanted to call out, which I'm going to share today, um, is the news around uh, the departure next year of the Human Rights Commissioner, Gillian Triggs. Um, there's probably a couple of things to point out here, um, which is uh, how that will be a significant loss for Australia's public and political life next year, but also how terribly... I mean, I guess it kind of at least fits with how she was treated by this government, that even her departure was treated as a political football. She um, had actually sort of publicly stated a little while ago she was not going to renew her... She, she decided that she wasn't going to continue in that role next year. And then... The Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull sort of announced that, you know, this week, uh, that you know that her contract wasn't being renewed as a sort of, you know, uh, you know, some sort of uh, treasure to the right wing crazies who have um, been dogging her her entire time in that career. But I'm, I think, look, as I was telling Lisa and Leanne just before we started recording, this news of the week is essentially just a fairly thinly veiled excuse to, um, I think, celebrate uh, Gillian Triggs and the amazing work she's done in that role. It's um, they're, they're, They can be very tricky roles because even though they're meant to be um, independent from government, they're meant to be statutory roles, they still come under a lot of criticism. There's a lot of pressure to uh, not criticise the government and she has been a, a fairly incredible presence in that role. And um, and I know we've, we've talked... Uh, Lisa and Leanne, I know we've talked before about particularly some of those times she was at Senate Estimates where she was standing up to, you know, what can only be described as, you know, bullies with um, with less sense than um, than they should, probably should have in their positions. But, uh, yeah, look, I think I'm, I'm assuming you'll obviously both be sad to see her go, but is there, you know, a particular, you know, fave bit of your time with that we've had with Julian Triggs at all? Uh, I, well, I think that the report um, into uh, Nauru and, and the violations of children's rights on, on Nauru and Manus Island are pretty amazing. And I think to just, the, just to make a note of the structure of the Human Rights Commission, so she's the president and then all of the other commissioners are there um, and it's massive. It's such a, a massive role that she has and I think in terms of um, the way that she's uh, enacted that leadership, she's probably been the most significant um, president of the Human Rights Commission and has done 
the, the, such a significant amount of work. So I'm just in awe and, and um, yeah, and I, I think it's a really, really tough thing that she's going. Have either of you heard her speak, um, you know, like face-to-face, yeah. not through the media? She's an amazing yeah. speaker. It's kind of like I could listen to her for, for forever. But just to bring it back to early education and care, one of the things that we saw last week was one of her commissioners, um, uh, the Commissioner for Children and Young People, um, Megan, oh no, I forget her last name. Mitchell. Megan, <laughs> Megan Mitchell, sorry. <laughs> um, was under attack by the media for putting out um, the anti-racism uh, resources for um, early education services. And I think that that's something that you've got to look at all of those people is when all of those commissioners is when they try and, you know, raise the bar in Australia about how we're treating different groups, whether it be people with disabilities or, you know, Indigenous people or, you know, whatever, they often are attacked for that by the right-wing media. And I think that's really sad. And I just saw that she got copped a lot in the media this week about, or last week about it. And so, you know, I think that uh, happens across the board and is really sad. Yeah, and yeah. I, I think up um, to the uh, ACOS conference, um, Gillian Triggs spoke and there was a lot of tweeting that uh, I didn't hear her speaking <laughs> at that, but there was a lot of tweeting and there was a lot of the um, focus on, you know, she she said that she believes that Australians do care about people's rights. So when that sort of representation of some of her commissioners is there, that must be quite painful to her. But also she did, you know, really say that speaking out and speaking up was of utmost importance. So and I think it's a great reminder. That. Yeah, and it's a great reminder to us to do just that. Yes. Be more like Gillian Triggs. That's the advice to everyone. Well, we might um, move on to our first topic. She does for... have lovely hair too, Liam. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably the most important characteristic we didn't touch on. Sorry, everyone. Maybe we'll include a photo in the show notes. <laughs> I'll see if I, I can do that. I think she's got lovely voice tones and I have a feeling that's why she affects politicians so much because she kind of sounds like everyone's favourite nanny or something like that. And I think that they just kind of have this, you know, they go straight back to childhood and go, oh, no, she's going to get angry at us. (laughs) I don't think I've ever thought of. (laughs) We've got something new to think about now. (laughs) Um, Well, thank you for that uh, (laughs) additional thought there, Lisa. But we might move on to our first of our two topics for tonight. Um, And it's another sort of uh, similar to last week where we sort of told each other our favourite research. We've come up with a bit of a question for each other to provoke a bit of a discussion. We're going to do what would you do if you were put in charge of early childhood education for a day? Um, What a terrifying thought, any of us being put in charge of... Uh, early childhood, but we I suppose there's, there's worse people. For a day, for we a could day, we could, 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 could we job share? <laughs> <laughs> I'd do it if you two could do it with me. But, but yeah, um, yeah that's essentially that's a, 
we'll job share. So that's essentially what we're going to be doing. So we're going to be going one by one, and I think we're going to start with, I think we agreed prior to recording that, Leanne, you were the most organized of all three of us. So we're going to go in, in order of most organized to, to discuss this topic. But we're essentially just going to be doing, you know, if you were, if you were made, um, so Leanne, I cry now, you know, crowned you by the power vested in me the uh, minister the federal minister for early childhood education and care so we've got basically three questions to go through which is what would be the the one thing you'd want to get done in that day um what do you expect the impact of this would be and you know why why this thing over the 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 many other things we could do so over to you uh, minister gibbs oh well that sounds good um well i'm gonna (laughs) actually (laughs) well first of all i'm gonna I don't know, go out in the car, the special car that they give you. <laughs> and do a tour. The day's and ticking away, get, Minister. Come on. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to get mineral water in the fridge. Oh, no, hang on. Sorry. Okay, let's stop. Um, <laughs> Actually, Leanne, you're a woman. The first thing you've got to do is put on your slap. You've got to put on makeup. <laughs> okay, and call a media conference. Um, so, with regard to this, I was thinking, oh, well, I think I've I've been asked this question before and I just said give education to everybody, you know, from start to finish, from birth onwards and then that would resolve everything. But that is perhaps too – then I thought, oh, maybe that's just being lazy to talk about that today. So I'm going to go quite micro level and what I want to do is I want to sign off on a huge fully funded professional development program and it's going to be in two specific areas. The first one is going to be around documentation because you're going, oh, my God, why would the minister sign off on a program, a professional development program on documentation? Because I think it must be the thing that consumes early childhood teachers and educators until they can do nothing else and their brains have turned to mush on documentation and programming. So that's the first thing that I would do. Um, And the second that I would, this is part of the professional development program, is on leadership because I figure that if we can build the leadership capacity of the sector and make it even better and grow it, then we can actually do extraordinary things because we'll build leadership capacity and we'll have everybody being an advocate and everybody being a mentor and everybody being um, an absolute expert in early childhood education and be able to convince everybody that this is exactly what we need. And the point about giving everybody professional development around documentation and programming obviously is so that we focus on the right things in early childhood and so that people can get back to that important delivery of early childhood education based on relationships instead of worrying about taking a photo of a child (laughs) and um, putting a nice a caption with that and then scrapbooking it and all of those things. So I think that the outcome of that would be massive quality improvement on a, a huge scale and um, just a, a really high level of professionalism in the sector. So that is what I would do. Good choice, Lynn. I think I, it's funny. Can we, I, I ask don't... why you wouldn't just scrap documentation or the need to do documentation <laughs> altogether? <laughs> Is that because heresy? I think, yeah, it is, um, because documentation allows critical reflection or, it, I mean, it doesn't allow it, it actually um, promotes critical reflection and that is 
hugely important in the development of professionalism. So, no, we do need to have documentation. Sorry, Lisa. Bummer. Sorry. Yeah. But um, I, I was just going to say, I think it's really interesting that throughout the course of this uh, now 13 episodes of this podcast, and it was completely unplanned, we've returned time and time again to the importance of professional development and particularly uh, government-funded access to professional development. It's still one of the huge scandals that that was allowed to sort of lapse that the professional support coordinators uh, have gone, that the early years workforce strategy is dead and buried as of the end of this year, but it is just critical that we're still in the rollout phase of the national quality framework we learn something new about children's learning and development in those first five years uh every day there's new research coming out and that services are now going to have to scramble to access that kind of um professional development that um i think i, I was hoping you were going to say leanne you were you, you were going to do that on documentation just so we can get it bloody over with and stop talking about it <laughs> no, I thought we were going to do a whole episode on it. So <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the one-hour rant from Liam and Nicholas on documentation. Oh, I think we need we need we need to do a debate actually. Me versus maybe Lisa on documentation. Should it go? Uh, uh, look, look, I, I, I think we both agree. But, but no, I, the, no, it has to stay. <laughs> but the, the thing there with with my that component of leadership would be so that. Um, leaders could say, no, we're not doing this element of, of documentation. This is how we're doing it. So that we have that really good leadership around documentation. Because I think leadership's going to solve it all. It's going to solve you know, everything. I'd love to do a thing on documentation because as someone from outside the sector, I don't get it at all. <coughs> Sorry. Journalists don't, you know, sit around and ponder why they write what they write or how they write what they write. What? They just bloody write. Oh, please. I think you're being very <laughs> self-indulgent there. That's not even true. I just think it, it puts a whole extra job on top of what you're doing. You can analyse what you're doing and how you're doing it without having to to show that you're doing that. Like you may do it in the shower, you may do it when you're walking in the morning, you may do it when you're at the gym. Do you really have to commit it to paper? I well, think Lisa, we, we, Lisa Bryant, <laughs> sorry, Liam, sorry, I know we're going to get sort of really weighed down <laughs> with this saying topic, about school. But what I want to say, what I want to say is that Miss Valerie Packham from Jacaranda Preschool, so shout out to anybody who's out there, who was the director there for many, many years, agrees totally with you. She felt that people should be able to sit in their rocking chairs, look at children and understand everything about them and then formulate that critical reflection. The only problem is that there are other people around who also need to understand that. Yes. Uh, well, we might have to leave okay. that as a teaser for, right, a, for a topic. But, that's a, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can leave that. But uh, we, we're going to leave the hanging there because I think that's going to be a great topic. But, um, look, thanks for that, uh, Minister Minister Gibbs. But, unfortunately, you've been undermined by someone in your own ranks because of your inability to keep us on topic. So we've had a leadership reshuffle. <laughs> you've been booted out. And we now have Early Childhood Education Minister Lisa Bryant taking in. So farewell. Yes. Ex-Minister Gibbs and Minister Minister Bryant, God, what's your what's your plan already. for day one? <laughs> and it can't my, be get rid of documentation, just to be clear. No, my plan for day one is exactly um, the current government's nightmare. I want to quadruple, maybe maybe even more than quadruple, 
every educator's pay from the morning I take over. And the reason I want to do that is not because I believe that educators are, you know, not because I'm a member of United Voice. I'm not a member of United Voice. It's not because I believe that this work is, you know, substantially underpaid, which I do. It's not because I believe that this work is um, uh, needs, you know, is paid badly because of the gender of the workforce that does it, which I do. It's because I believe that this work is so valuable that unless we start paying people exactly what it's worth, we will never attract the best and brightest into the sector. Once we start paying people reasonable money, we will get people in the sector who can then advocate for, you know, uh, for higher investment in early education and care from a position of strength. Once we get more people in the, the sector who are paid better, we will get people competing to be in the sector. So it means we will have the best people working in the sector. Once we pay people more money, we will have people saying, oh, what are these people actually doing? Is this important that they're being paid so much? All of those kind of things, like, you know, professional development won't be so important once people are being paid, you know, enough money that they can take off a day or two a week to go and study a higher degree. All the things that are currently the problem with the sector I believe uh, problems with the sector. I believe that we'd substantially lessen if we increase the pay. And why this over everything else? Because it's the crux of all the issues. We don't actually talk about the fact much in the sector that the rate of turnover that there is in the sector is really detrimental to children. We don't talk much in the sector about the fact that there's a lot of people here that really don't want to be doing this work. They're doing it because it was all they could get into at university. We don't talk about much in the sector about the fact that the ATARs are so low for all of our courses. We don't talk about those things because we're incapable of actually changing it because we can't change the pay system. So that's what Minister Bryant would do as well. She might also stop planes flying overhead when one's recording a podcast. <laughs> well, probably not much you can do about the planes, Minister. But um, yeah, that's. I mean, that was very, very close to being the one I was going to choose, actually. But uh, look, I, I, nothing else to say. But entirely agree. And I think one of the things is, look, and I, I am a member of United Voice and have been uh, part of the you know Big Steps campaign. Uh, for a long time, sometimes a welcome part, sometimes a fairly unwelcome part. But um, I, I think sometimes we get a bit bogged down in this idea that we need to improve the standing and the, the value of the sector first before we can win that argument. But I think that they can absolutely go parallel. And I think you're right, you can almost just force the situation by exactly that. So instead of, you know, having... And look, and I work in a, in a role where I'm pretty regularly doing recruitment, um, 
that the the number of candidates that apply for roles are really low. We do have high turnover. It is a really sort of tricky and challenging process, but if this was a sought-after role, um, even if we're just getting people in with the pay to start with, but then you can actually choose the people who are the most engaged, the most articulate, and the most uh, uh, have the most professional approach to that work, that will actually change the sector as well. I, 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 yeah, I, I, this is absolutely something that just needs to happen, and fingers crossed for the for the pay equity case next year. Good. So if you agree with me, does that mean I won't get deposed? Well, we'll see. Well, well let's just see how the rest of your day goes. <laughs> well, it's, you certainly won't be deposed for lack of confidence. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've just realised we've now done this the wrong way around. So what's, what, what now has to happen is that okay, two now that I've smart articulate... Two smart, articulate women are in these ministerial roles and now they're getting knocked off by a, a guy in a, in a blue tie. Sorry, I'm not wearing a blue tie, no, if that's helpful. Yeah, but that's not going to happen because been... you know what? I've made my mark on the sector and I now resign <laughs> and yeah, some, some guy can come along and mop up the dirty work after me. <laughs> Excellent. Well, with, with, with great uh, regret and... and, and Sad feeling for the departure of Minister Brian. I do reluctantly take on the role of uh, Minister for Early Childhood Education. And um, I, I really struggled with this question because I, I'm really bad at hypotheticals because I go down the rabbit hole of what I wanted to do. Because, of course, what I actually want to do is overhaul every single part of it and make an entirely new system from scratch. But that's probably not in the spirit of this. So I, I tried to think of... I tried to stick with the with the with the question, which is what was you know what one thing would you do? So what could you get done in that one day? Um, and what I wanted to do is come up with something that would same you know, same as as you did, Lisa, I think, which was do something that will lead to big change, and the same as you, Leanne, as well. So what I thought I would do is I would, um, as in the precedent of some European countries, particularly France and I think Germany, is instill in legislation the legal right of every child of, of every Australian child to access early childhood education and care from birth. So it would go oh, in the law. Yes. It's a legal human right, and that means we would then have to solve all the other problems. You would have to sort out access. You would have to sort out affordability. You would have to knock the Jobs for Families package on the head and do a package that would actually support oh, the Liam, most vulnerable children and families. have got such in our political system. I've got one day. I've got one day. I'm going to have to because it's the only system we've got. But I think that that to me, and look at it, may be symbolic for a while. It may just be you know words on a bit of paper. But I think that has led to change in Europe, and it had particularly in France and Germany, where they have had to come up with policy solutions to that because it's enshrined in law. So that would be my one action. What what I would expect the impact of this to be would be flow on effects on all the other impacts of early childhood policy. So. Um, including things like professional development and and hopefully pay as well. Um, yeah, and think, so would well, it so... be? Yeah, well, I was just ask, going to ask: Would it be high quality early childhood education? Well, I think there's no reason you couldn't include that in there. I'm willing to take amendments on this one. I I'm willing to, uh, I... to to talk, but even from ex-ministers who should be being a bit quiet on the backbench. <laughs> But um, I'm willing to Since accept some amendments on that one. Well, I'm happy for you to stand on our shoulders there because really that's what we are doing and we're happy for um, you to keep things that we decided on. But that sounds like a, an awesome idea. Yeah. yeah and I, I think why this over, uh, over, yeah, over anything else, I think, I think it's probably um, 
if yeah, is it that thing? If you had to pick one thing, I think that's probably what I'll go. Even though what I want is fifty million things to change in early childhood. I th- I think that that's a really useful way of doing it because so often ministers do um you know have got way too many things that they could be working on. And I think often when you see bold and brilliant plans, that that's when sometimes real change can happen. That's what the NQF was. That's how the NQF Mm. happened, by someone having a bold and brilliant plan. Mm. So I I hope both the minister and the opposition spokesperson are both listening to this and are going for bold and brilliant plans. No pressure. Yes. Yes. Mm. Gosh, All I right, if well, we can uh, do, do this and um, actually be the minister. For... <laughs> well, th- between the three of us, is that enough to form a political party? We might have to look into that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if we've got all our listeners as well, surely we'd have enough. That's right. I think that we could actually call that ministry the early education show. I think it would be any, <laughs> <laughs> be any different like to what it is every day. All right. Well, that was fun. I enjoyed that, actually. That was, we, I think, uh, yeah, we're bright political futures ahead for all of us. Although I like that we did this, definitely did this the wrong way around, because as it stands now, you both lost your jobs, and I end this segment remaining the Minister for Early Childhood. So I will wear that title proudly uh, as I we go think into... we'll a... have to do another coup here. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> reshuffle, reshuffle. This power is going to my head really quickly as well. I'm really enjoying it. But um, I will as uh, I will wrap up this ministerial press conference with a, with a smug look, and we'll go into a quick musical break before coming <laughs> back with with topic two we'll see you in a bit all right welcome back so our second topic of the night uh, we're going to be talking quality ratings in early childhood education and care and we'll look we'll probably touch on specifically obviously the national quality standard but i think we're going to more generally just have a talk about uh, a talk about i guess how we assess quality in early childhood education and i guess what the impact of that is on society and community and this one's i guess come up there's been some media over the last few weeks just around uh, some communities and some families and centers are fairly unhappy with their quality ratings which um, i might include some links in the show notes to some of those articles but i guess we'll start off and lisa i might throw to you first are you worried that there is sort of a broad um i guess weakening of support in the community and maybe within the sector itself for the current rating system in australia look i really am i think that we're very lucky to escape a bullet when scott morrison was the minister I think he went in and would have gladly dismantled the whole NQF, but when he discovered that it <clears throat> was a partnership with all the states and it was enshrined in legislation, etc., he went, okay, can't touch it. But since then, I've seen a lot of the players downgrading it themselves. So I'd just like to read some quotes that have been in the media in recent times that I think point to that downgrading. And I'm not picking on these particular people and you can never, you know, absolutely um, believe everything you hear in the media, but this is the things that are worrying me. (coughs) The Australian Childcare Alliance of Queensland slammed the Sunday Mail article, that was an article about rating system, 
reminding their followers on Facebook that the framework does not follow a pass-fail system. Karen Curtis, the CEO of Asequa, the rating system is a high bar and it means that a service may be rated at working towards NQS if they're not meeting between one or all 58 elements of the NQS. Uh, Sam Page, the point of the uh, CEO of ECA, the point of the new framework was not to pass or fail childcare centres, but rather promote year-on-year improvement. The intention is continuous quality. We're less concerned with centres that don't reach the standard and more about those that are showing improvement. And I think I've got one more there uh, from, oh, sorry, three more. One from uh, Leslie Williams, who's the education minister, early education minister in New South Wales. She said that a working towards rating was not a failure. Services are able to operate when they receive a working towards rating because the intent of the National Quality Framework is to allow for continuous improvement towards a very high standard. A CEQA General Manager, Manager Michael Petrie said, a working towards rating doesn't in any way place risk to the health, safety or well-being of children. And then Diane Lawson, the CEO of Community Childcare New South Wales, said that all centres should aim to put children first. That was her comment on the rating system. I think all of those things are pointing towards a system where people aren't prepared to call out those centres that aren't yet meeting the national quality standard. I don't see the national quality standard as anything other than a minimum a minimum standard and I think that that was kind of like how it was brought in this was meant to be the minimum standard that services achieved and I think all of those comments just point to a lot of people saying oh no it doesn't really matter if you fail I think Asequa has bought out new logos for all services and they're all beautiful bright coloured logos and you can have up in your service that you're working towards, you're meeting or you're exceeding, but really the three logos look identical. You wouldn't know which of those three meant that your service had done better than the others and I think that's really sad. Yeah, I... Those quotes worry me. So I think, you know, we, look, we're all fairly uh, active activists and advocates in the early childhood space. I don't think we ever set out to wanting to offend or or make anyone too cranky. I'm slightly worried we're going to breach that in this topic because those, those, I mean, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a nice way to say it. Those quotes are insane. It it is a pass-fail system. It, It is a standard and you either meet it or you don't. Now, you can... This is not to suggest that you know every centre that's really working towards is you know the, the, the horrible place for children, but if they're working towards, they're not meeting the standard. So there's a couple of things. There's two particular things that worry worry me. There are one is people in fairly high positions, including and look, I don't think it was Karen Curtis that said it's not a pass fail system, but it's basically saying oh, it's not too bad if you don't get working towards because I think we're worried about offending because we know that about a third of the sector isn't meeting the standard. 
well, that's kind of tough. We may as well not have the standard if we're not going to hold people to it. And if you get working towards and you think you're doing, if you, and you think you're doing fantastic work, your two options are to improve very quickly and get meeting or exceeding in your next rating or challenge the result. There is actually a really clear process for if you disagree with that result, then challenge it. Um, and the second thing that really, really worries me is um, this, uh, this, what I occasionally see and it was in evidence in that article, is just then dismissing the system if you don't like it. We have to have a system in place. Of course, it's going to be run by human beings, so there's going to be things that can be changed, it can be done. The National Quality Framework is currently under review. But if you get a rating you don't like, then just go, well, the system's terrible and I hated that person, they didn't like me. That's not good enough. That's a complete cop-out. And if that's your response instead of going either of the, the, the other options I mentioned before, which was challenge the result or improve, then I really question your, why you're in this sector at all. There, you're absolutely right, Lisa. It's a minimum standard, and if we, we have to have it, and we have to be honest about it. Leanne? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I've been ferociously writing things down so I don't know how many of them I can actually say um, as as we've been talking or, or um, listening but I think there's there's a couple of points that I wanted to make so the yes it's not good enough for children if we just go okay whatever everybody gets is okay because we're all trying hard that's just that isn't good enough for children at all we have to we have to pursue quality and we have to say that these ratings do matter or there's no point in having them and I understand that there are weaknesses in the system um, but we need to give it I, I do think we need to give time to this system to allow it to um, settle as well so that there isn't so much variation because we know there's variation between the states we know that in the early days some states were all getting exceeding and some states were uh, probably more moderated in their um, ratings that they were um, giving so there's still some uh, unevenness of of the system so I think it still needs time that said however I don't think that we can say we're working towards is fine because that's really what it says. It's working towards. And I, I think if we think it's important for children, then we have to get the system right. Um, I think there are some really good things about our system. The fact that people have to do it is incredibly important. And um, Liam, I'll ask you to include a chart that comes from the States, which shows about all of the different rating systems within um, early childhood in America. And I don't know whether either of you had a chance to have a look at that before we started recording this, but their rating, they've got um, quality improvement systems that are called things like in the District of Columbia, going for gold. In um, Oh, I like that. <laughs> in Idaho, Idaho Stars. In um, there's even somewhere there's more than one system. So there's best beginnings or stars to quality program, or there's. So I think the point about this is that those systems are, are they're not publicly managed systems. 
they're systems that people can probably purchase some of their ratings from. <laughs> and I think that's the point that we have a system that is linked to funding in this country, which is one of the first, I mean, we were the first country in the world to do that. So we we're admired from afar for that very reason. For that reason also, it means that everybody has to engage in it. So a few weeks ago, we were talking about NAEYC um, percentages being very low in terms of accreditation. So there's that as well. And um, yeah, I, I suppose I've gone a little bit off track, but I guess I feel that, you know, it's worth persisting with this system and getting this right. But we need to stand behind the ratings that are being given to services and say that they do matter. And it is a process of quality improvement if we really believe in this system. Do you know what, look, I agree with you, Leanne, but do you know what I'm worried about? When With the previous accreditation system, the accreditation process, you know, under um, NCAC, what happened was that services were being continually, you know, um, not accredited. They weren't meeting the accreditation level. And yet nothing ever happened. They never lost their CCB. Yeah. They never lost their CCR. So they were just continually not accredited. I suspect if we actually tracked, and, you know, this would be a great research project, um, uh, academics, I hope you're listening. If we actually tr tracked the services that were not accredited for more than one time under the NCAC process and the ones that have got working toward... I think we'd see that a lot of them were the same services. So what's going to happen now? Nothing's going to happen to those services again. They're just going to keep getting working towards. They're never actually going to meet the standard. Nobody's going to say anything to them. Their parents aren't going, the parents that are going there aren't going to know that this is a, a service with a history of not quite making the level that everyone else manages to. And because the parents change every few years, then no one's got that history for that service. No one's actually looking at it and saying, hey, this service has never actually come up to scratch. And then in a year or two, what will happen is that some politician will decide, oh, no, 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 there's too many problems with um, the assessment and ratings process. We need to come up with a new system. They'll come up with a new system and, again, those same services will be getting that that not okay level and that's why you know that's mm. why i get frustrated when i see those comments from those people in the media you know yeah, and, and I, 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 sorry, just, I was gonna say i agree yeah and i think that i sort of talked about this in the interview with chris Steele. is that um we need to remember we're still in the rollout phase the nqf is still you know what i would term well, it's probably still working towards the National Quality Framework. It's being rolled out, but it's still vulnerable. And it's not that long ago that and you mentioned sort of Scott Morrison wanting to unravel stuff. I remember uh, Susan Lay, and I might do a bit of very rare self-promotion here. I normally hate doing this, but the most popular uh, post on my blog to this day, and it still is double the, the views of anything else I've ever gotten on there, was a one I put after Susan Lay did a press conference or an interview with someone where she'd visited some centres in Western Australia and she just said, and this was uh, this would have been early in her time as minister, where she'd said, 
oh, you know, all these ridiculous red tape and regulations, you can just walk into a centre and get a feel for whether it's good or not. So I did this joke uh, press release from her saying they were from a sequel, sorry, saying that they changed the rating system from working towards meeting and exceeding to seems okay, probably all right, um, and you know, and she'll be right, and and. I think I probably illegally used their logos and branding on it, so I'm probably due for a legal call now. But but that that was a joke, but it's probably not that far off, and this is where we need to be really careful. We, we have to support all the elements of the National Quality Framework, which includes a very rigorous standardised rating system. We can argue about the detail of what that looks like, but we have to support because that's what will happen if we don't take it seriously. It will go back to... Well, they seem lovely and nice and they seem like they love children, so I'm sure it's probably okay. And that is absolutely not good enough in 2016 for young children accessing early childhood in Australia, given what we know, given how we know how important those first five years are. I would be advocating and arguing for a pretty radical uh, extension of that process, not streamlining it or making it easier. It should be hard to meet the standards because the work we do is really hard and it's not good enough to not get a rating you like and then complain about it and then say the system is, is too tough. And you know what we need to make sure that that happens, Liam. We need professional development. <laughs> <laughs> Minister Gibbs, you are deposed. <laughs> and for that very reason, I've been reinstated. So I <laughs> This revolving door of education ministers, it uh, needs to stop. But, but I think um, we need to um, also grasp that history of this as well because the, the things that yeah. um, you know you're, you're talking about you're both talking about there have got this this history attached to them and I remember with accreditation um, in a in a previous role that I was in and we were supporting services who had had a non-accredited decision and some of those services had been non-accredited seven times and that's that's exactly what you're saying yeah, Lisa is that they, and they that it, under that system, and oh, I don't know whether I'm, I've got this right or wrong, but under that system, um, I know this part's right, they were allowed to actually rename themselves and start again. So, you know, all they had to do was give themselves a new name um, and then they could start the whole process again and nobody was aware that they'd been non-accredited for, for that many times. And, and quite often those services were in rural and remote areas as well. So what we were kind of saying was, you know what, it's okay for children in those regional areas to have poor quality um, early childhood education and care. Mm. Yep. Well, given, I guess given all about uh, joint strong support for the for the system as it is, but maybe we could have a brief discussion about you know what what may be some of the things that we would change either around the margins or some of the details of how that how that's done, or even in terms of the sector's response to it. You know, Lisa, is there you know is there something you change to maybe make to maybe get this more support, or or is it you know should it just Look, be as it is? I, I I actually think it needs to be more clear cut. Yeah, if I go and stay in a five-star hotel, I know what I'm expecting to get in that five-star hotel. If I stay in a two-star hotel, I know what I'm expecting to get. And, you know, I never, uh, you know, like could be mistaken as to what is what. The public has a universal understanding of the difference between five-stars and two-stars. Working towards meeting, exceeding, excellent, you know, like they're, they're nebulous. They're not, 
it's not clear cut. And until parents understand it and making one website where it's all explained and is, you know, forward facing to parents doesn't in fact, you know, mean that there's widespread understanding by parents. I've seen services that have scored really badly explaining to parents through signs on their notice boards, through things in their newsletters that really it was just that the the uh, you know the assessor came in and didn't notice that they were actually did have water for children to drink. Yeah, you know, like it's just not good enough. You know, like we need parents to be absolutely aware of this rather than it being an amorphous system. But given that parents are barely aware of what makes good or bad childcare quality, you only have to go onto any Facebook page of parents and be horrified at what people are, are flocking towards and what they're rejecting to know that we as a sector don't do very well at explaining to our people that use our services and people that will use our services what makes a good service and what makes a bad service. Mm. What about you, Leanne? Um, well, I, didn't, I don't know whether I'd change it, but I always feel that the system is really only as good as the people who are on the ground um, implementing it and so I think that the system is made, made or broken on really the people who are in that operational role um, who are doing the rating and assessment and so it, to me it would be ensuring the consistency of the people who are you know the consistency of the knowledge and education the way they deliver that rating and assessment and that there is absolute consistency, absolute objectivity, all of those things. So it's not necessarily a change, but um, probably just the, the capacity to ensure that and a lot of professional development around um, how to actually do that. Because when, when it was first, um, you know, that those roles were, were being fleshed out, there was kind of that rumour that you could be a dog catcher. I don't even think it was a rumour. I think it was truth, actually. You could be a dog <laughs> catcher and still still yeah. go in in a service in the Northern Territory and rate and assess that service because it was all I think about it was Western Australia. <laughs> it was a Western Australia. Yeah. And um, I think that we, we might have done a little bit of a pop-up poll at one stage, Lisa, about, you know, do people feel like people who are delivering implementing this system should be early childhood trained, not that we were pushing the point at all. But, um, <laughs> you know, I think in that sense, it is about having that, that absolute standard around who's in, who is actually doing the rating and assessment and ensuring mm. that there's that consistency. So it's not a change, but it's de definitely something that we need to be sure of. Yeah, I agree. And the, the, probably the, the, there's probably a couple of things I was going to suggest. And the first one was along those lines. And I'd probably be as specific as to say that people assessing um, uh, services under the National Quality Framework should have qualification and experience working under that system. So if they, because what I do occasionally see is, um, what I particularly mean by that is, is that it needs to be modern and progressive, un progressive understandings of early childhood education. So there oh, is, yeah. I think... A, I know, sorry, I had my big say there, but I'm, I'm not 100% sure about that, Liam, because Ooh. that means that then you've got to have people who have only, who have had experience, like sometimes it is about that 
that longer term experience and the capacity to rate and assess. It's sort yeah, of, well, you have to have absolute content and subject matter experience um, well, in that I think, system. I, I think you at least need to have some. What I was going to suggest for, because obviously there are people with a wealth of experience in that, uh, in those specific roles, is that. I don't know, it may be controversial. I think they should have to go back and do a diploma or a, a, yeah. at least under the new system. So they could still assess and rate, but I would expect them because I do occasionally see, you know, people who have been doing this for a very, very, very long time and the what we know about early childhood education has changed a lot in that time. And I don't think it's good enough for someone who qualified, you know, 25 years ago to necessarily be coming in and assessing services with, you know, a couple of days PD with a CEQA. Again, maybe controversial, but that's my view. Um, is that that would probably lead to some? Sorry to sound now. like Minister Gibbs here, Liam, but good <laughs> professional development of the assessors could get around yeah. that one. Yeah, well, I I, th- I think yes, but probably not to the extent that a functioning practitioner knowledge of actually what working in a space is like. And again, I I may be talking specifically from the ACT context here, which is fairly different given just how the ACT has operated. But I, anecdotally, and I certainly wouldn't name names or name services, but there are just people whose thoughts on early childhood education have not changed since 1970, and that this clearly isn't good enough. And whether they... That, so but I probably Liam, would look at instituting something like that where they have to have a qualification post-2012. Liam, I don't think it's necessary. I've never... Yeah, and like I've never worked in the sector, would have no idea. But if I go to a service and the director or the educators are able to explain to me why they're doing what they're doing, then that covers that. Do you know what I mean? Like you don't need to know, have the educational background. You need to have people that can explain why they're doing it. Mm-hmm. Do you mean assessors or services? Services, so that if I go to the if I go to a service and you know it's looking pretty weird to me, they're doing all these far out things, and I I you know it doesn't look like <laughs> any other service that I've been to, and if that director says the reason we do this is because this is what we know about children, or this is what we know about the children that are here at this centre at this moment, or this is what we have found works. If that makes sense, if that stands up, then, yeah. Yeah, but I, oh, I think that probably reinf... No, go after you, Leanne. Oh, oh, sorry, I seem to be saying a lot tonight. But um, I, I don't know, Lisa, is that is that about someone's capacity to um, explain to you? So isn't that still dependent on your capacity to understand that and and know what all of that means i think you have to have a modern understanding of that okay just just give them all an iq test then (laughs) were they going to give teachers eq tests a little while ago wasn't that going to wasn't that some bright education minister's idea that all teachers would get emotional intelligence (laughs) tests from the oh god but um this is i'm I'm interested. This is such a divisive topic. I might have to come back, but I, I, I'm probably going to stand firm in my view that, given the system has changed so radically, and look, this may be a bit naive, and this may not be the case in other in other areas where people are being assessed and rated. But again, given we know what's so important about the birth to five space, I, I, I'm probably going to stand firm in my view that assessors, you know, people in those roles, need to have a modern progressive understanding of what early childhood education is and the best way to prove and demonstrate that is having a qualification post 2012 
But I'd love to get other people's feedback on that as well. Yeah, actually, you know, Liam, I'm just thinking there's a service that Leanne and I have both been to that rated quite highly and neither of us would have rated that service particularly well. But the educators did have the gift of the gab and Mm. quite clearly were able to talk up the service despite all evidence being to the contrary. So I'm going to back down on my last Yeah, call. good. Oh, good. I, I, was, I was so confused for a minute there. I was really confused by you. It's a thorny topic. I, yeah. I, I just no, think I'd no. make a great assessor. I'd love to go around the service. Yeah, nah, you're crap. Well, I forget, I forget your diploma, Lisa. Um, probably the only this seems so minor now after we've had a very meaty discussion there probably the only other thing I would change this is purely semantic is I would pull I would move quality area 5 which is relationships with children right up I would either have it as quality area 1 or quality area 2 because I think even just in so the, the NQF was essentially in draft from about 2009 so this is now eight years ago, even just in that space of time, we have a far better understanding now that the interactions educators have with children is actually a staggeringly huge part of the experience children will have in there. So having it as quality area five, I think, minimises the importance of that one. So I would I would move that either as quality area one or two. That seems like such a semantic minor thing now after our first yeah, discussion think, point. No, but... not at all. I think that that's, that's awesome. I think um, that sounds like a fantastic idea and as a result of that idea i think that you can be instated as the minister for education federally and make that change yay i thought he already was the minister i think i already no, was I, that's right i Hang knocked on. him off oh there was a coup i've lost track <laughs> i've lost track of the coups all right. Well, I think we might we might wrap up our discussion on uh, quality ratings before the next coup. So we want to try and keep everyone in their current positions now before there's another leadership challenge. So we might move on to our recommendations for the week this week. And I'm going to spin the wheel and I think I'm going to go to ex-Minister Bryant first. What's your, what have you got for us, Lisa? Oh, first of all, obviously you haven't caught up on the news. There's been a coup and I'm oh, now the no. minister. Oh. <laughs> um, look, what... Um, I've put a recommendation in is to a blog. It's called the Wonder Wild Wonder Blog. And it's linking um, forest schools, forest preschools, forest early um, childhood education services to self-regulation. Um, I, I don't know. Is self-regulation something that's done a lot in unis and TAFE, you guys? Yes. Um, it is? Yeah, it? particularly in unis, yeah. yeah. More and more, right. yeah. Okay, so I've, you know, n- never having done an early education degree, I've always just been fascinated by the work of Stuart Shanker because I think he's really, what he says resonates in me as a parent and as someone that, you know, has spent a lot of time thinking about children, etc. It, I just see how much uh, behavioural things can be explained by um, stress in children and that in teaching children how to self-regulate, we're actually teaching them how to um, lifelong skills in how to calm themselves and how to make themselves feel okay. And this particular blog um, linked uh, just the you know the difference between being in the forest, being in the open air, being outside, and being 
inside in a service and what the difference is. And they just uh, talked about things like the inside stresses being noise from, you know, doors blonging to hard blocks banging to children playing to music, et cetera, to teachers singing a clean-up song and then lighting, you know, harsh fluorescent lighting, um, being really bright um, temperature. Sometimes, you know, the services you walk in and they're really hot. They don't all, you know, not every service has air conditioning. Um, the crowdedness of rooms, you know, especially with large group sizes. The smell, it had this wonderful line saying bodily functions and small children are a given. Um, and the transitions in the dictated schedules and the thing we were talking about last week of bright colours and visual overload, you know? so I think Yeah, didn't that... you take me on on that, Lisa? Yeah, I did, but once I read the Forest article, I changed my mind. This is no, a typical another. politician, flip-flopping, flip-flopping. <laughs> she does keep flip-flopping tonight, doesn't she? But I, <laughs> I think it might be on the coup on track now. <laughs> I, that was a beautiful article, Lisa. Thank you for putting that one forward because I thought that was really, yeah, I, I read it and thought it was wonderful. Good. Yeah. Yeah, really nice. What was the name of the blog again, Lisa? Um, wild, uh, Wonder Wild Wonder blog. Wonder Wild Wonder blog. All right, because I just I, I, I'm going to have to try and write that on the uh, on the show <laughs> notes. I'm going to jump, but I'm not going to say it five times fast, which is good. <laughs> All right, what have you got for us this week, Leanne? Okay, well, mine's not um, actually early childhood focused, but I'm doing a favour to everybody out there um, by recommending a book called Unsubscribe: How to Kill Email Anxiety, Avoid Distractions, and Get Real Work Done. Did you say a book? Yeah. What's that? Hang yeah, on, exactly. What? Exactly. This is, it, what, is it on Twitter? <laughs> it must be. Surely. <laughs> well, actually, I think I did originally get the reference for it from Twitter. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's pretty funny. But I, for some reason, about five different articles have come across my desk this week, not necessarily from Twitter, about... Um, turning off stuff and getting work done. So I did try it a little bit this week and admittedly it's different for everybody because I'm not working face-to-face with children at the moment. Um, But it's, yeah, I think that it is that constant distraction and that lack of ability that we're kind of getting, um, you know, taken. See, I can't even finish a sentence because (laughs) because I've been looking at too much email. And so this is about having some really good um, approaches to your email and, and probably just training people that you're not going to answer them all the time and, and do those things. But it's quite a good book. I think you've fun. been saying that to me for years, though, Leanne. I have. I have. I, I, refrained, I refrained from putting one up there about blogs and Twitter because I thought, that you guys might not talk to me again. So, <laughs> I just actually, I want to point out that you deciding not to be on email, you know, as much has put uh, a, a huge increase in my work, <laughs> in my um, <laughs> <work> productivity. <laughs> um, I know. I, 
Leanne, I actually um, came across something on social media this week about the very same thing. New York Times mm. had an article yes. called Quit Social Media, Your Career May Depend Upon It. And instead of talking about, you know, you putting up dumb things and uh, trashing your career like so many people seem to do, this was more about just that same thing of having sustained um, time to think deeply about topics. Yeah, well, that was my first choice of article, but that was the one I refrained from. Um, right. Because I thought that, um, but the one that you clicked through to, sorry, I'm getting three tonight, Liam, sorry, um, was <gasps> the one that you clicked through from that one, and it's called I Used to Be a Human Being by Andrew <laughs> Sullivan. An endless bombardment of news and gossip and images has rendered us manic information addicts. It broke me. It might break you too. Mm. Hashtag interesting. I'm going to add that one. <laughs> Can we, can we, I think we're missing the obvious point here, though. So all of these things are around getting more time to think deeply about what we do. Can we just remember we're early childhood education advocates? I don't know if I want to spend any more time thinking deeply about <laughs> early childhood education because I wonder who might be headlong into the trough of despair. <laughs> I'm going to keep being distracted by all the notifications on my phone. Uh. <laughs> so what are, what's yours? Mine, really quickly, is an article, uh, an opinion piece in The Guardian. You're going to have to ban me from using The Guardian, I realise, because oh. it isn't yet another one. I think I've used The Guardian far more than you ever used The um, the Conversation, Leanne, so I might yeah. do a self-imposed ban from next week. Um, yeah. Is a opinion article by an early childhood educator called Margaret Carey uh, with the headline, Childcare workers are underpaid because we're women. We are the working poor. Uh, and it's it's actually really good. It's actually a really angry article, which I love. I, I love the sort of ferocity of it. Um, but it, it makes that point really clearly, which is worth just hammering home as often as we can, that, uh, that that's absolutely the reason, because the, the early childhood educators are not valued because early childhood education isn't valued. It's viewed as care, and care is viewed as uh, not valuable in our society, that people should want to do it for the love of it. Um, and I've always just been my mind just hasn't been able to correlate these two things in my head, which is that early childhood education or childcare, as it originally was, was was set up essentially to support women, so make sure they could access the workforce. And essentially, it was a feminist um, uh, tool and resource. But to do that, we created a workforce underclass of women. It just it's such a bizarre thing as a society. We've chosen to do because everything in society is a choice so to support women we've we're underpaying and undervaluing women it's very it's very bizarre but it's um it, it's good article and it's put it it's it's a good good sort of um marketing by united voice just to keep that topic in the news as the equal pay case drags on and on but it's likely to come to some sort of resolution next year mm, great mm. a great piece fabulous piece Thank you. Well, yes, so we'll include links to all of those recommendations in the show notes, but we are about to wrap up as we always do. Uh, we will we will start with as well, uh, big thanks to everyone who's rated and reviewed us over the last week. Uh, we actually have two, two new reviews on our iTunes store, so I'm going to do a big thanks to uh, Scott Skeeby, I, I don't know how to say that. I'm very sorry. So, but um, who just says she's really valuing the discussions and and particularly enjoys the recommendations at the end of the show. So we hope you enjoy the three we've just uh, chucked your way. Um, and then our last one is from Nesha, and we may as well not beat around the bush. We know this is from our Twitter friend and colleague Nesha O'Neill, who's um, who just wanted to uh, I guess thank us for getting information about early childhood out. And she has sort of challenges that she's available to have a debate on not-for-profit versus owner-operators, so we might take you up on one day on that, Nesha. Um, but 
we really appreciate anyone who takes the time to rate and review us on iTunes. It's um, I, it sounds like egomaniacs gone crazy. And given we're all three politicians, we can actually probably just get away with it now. But uh, <laughs> what it does is it bumps us up in the iTunes ranking particularly and just means more more educators and more uh, teachers and advocates and activists can find us when they're sort of uh, trawling around the iTunes store in the podcast section. So it is really valuable. We really appreciate it. And as we've done for Skybi and Nesha, we will make sure we give you a shout out on the next episode we record after it goes on there. Uh, but we will be back uh, next week as usual uh, and and you can get in touch with us if you're still subscribed to social media after Leanne's recommendation. But you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at the handle at Early Edu Show on both. Uh, you can also get in touch with us individually. On Twitter you can find me at Liam McNicholas. And me at Lisa J. Bryant. And me at Leanne M. Gibbs 3. But she won't so respond until- because no. she doesn't do social media. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I'm just not very. I'm. I'm not a. I'm. I'm still at working towards. <laughs> <laughs> well, until we are back in the device of your choice next week. Really, thank you for having another week with us. But until then, it's bye from me. And from me. And from me. I don't, I can't, <laughs> sorry, can you take a Oh my God, we've had a, we've had Minister Brain Freeze. What's going on here, Minister? <laughs> Obviously we didn't the write the press release the right way for you. <laughs> no, you didn't. Okay. Um. <laughs>